Welcome to this week's episode of Eye of the Swarm, your deep dive into anything and everything Yellow Jacket Athletics. He's the big sound, Matt Johnson. I am John Garver, and uh, good to be back in the swing of things last week, Matt, with Nick Bursick, the athletic director, who came on board. And we've got uh, a couple more games that happened between that broadcast and this one. Now we have yep. more games popping up on the schedule, and we're kind of getting back to that little bit of normalcy. Yeah, a little bit of normalcy. Uh, since then, we've had men's soccer and softball. And, uh, and volleyball. Yeah. And volleyball. Don't forget the volleyball marathon. Yeah, the volleyball marathon actually was the first broadcast that I had this week. Uh, I think the last time we talked, actually, I'd already done soccer. So that would be yeah, men's soccer, volleyball, and then softball are the three that we've had. Um, and, you know, the volleyball match was like a marathon. It was definitely a marathon match. I mean, all five sets, 15, 13, and the Two and a half fifth, hours. Two and, and a half yeah. hours. All the sets were close. Three of them going into... D- to overtime, basically. Yep. You had yep. to have extra time in there. Exactly. You know, and then, and then the other two coming right to the brink of yep. overtime. So yep. we ended up uh, with a long. I mean, the the largest margin of victory in any of the sets was twenty five twenty one in the fourth. Right. Everything else was it was thirty twenty eight twenty seven twenty five twenty seven twenty five twenty five twenty one and then fifteen thirteen. So good for you. <laughs> Way to rattle those numbers off, dude. <laughs> I broadcasted it. I remember them. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thought. The level of play was quite good, too, for the first three or four sets. I thought everybody got a little tired at the end. Not surprising, really, I mean, considering that they've been just been practicing. I mean, and you can't simulate a game situation until you actually get into the game. Well, and you so. start looking at, you know, using volleyball as the example. I mean, you have two subs on one side and one sub on the other. Right. So yep. a lot of those players are on the, the court for the entire time. Yeah. That's, that's going to wear you down. Yeah, and that's a lot of points of volleyball. I mean, you're talking – I mean, if you just do some simple math, you're talking about almost 200 points of volleyball. Right. You know, so, I mean, that's a lot of points to have to play through. And um, you could see they were getting pretty tired at the end. But like I said, the second and third sets, you could see clear improvement that had been made, especially from the first match, which went four sets, I think. Yep. So, um, yeah, it was, it, it, you know, you can see the progress being made. Um, same thing with men's soccer. I mean, I thought they were much sharper in the second, you know, inter-squad than they had been in the first one. And softball, of course, getting their feet wet. Um, and they played pretty tight softball for the first – when they played nine innings. Um, the first uh, seven innings were pretty tight. A two-run game. I yeah, mean, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a tight game. ball game. And then – The eighth inning got a little out of hand. Yeah, but, things got out of hand there. Um, but, I, you know, I, I thought that the – you know, for the most part, considering where they're at and how much practice time they've had together and how many things are, you know, up in the air and how many variables they're all having to deal with, I thought – the you know level of play in each of those contests was pretty darn good. Yeah, I was. I we were talking at the scores table in volleyball on Wednesday. The how surprised you were at, at just the intensity of it. Right. Yeah. You, you know, because you, when you think okay, it's inner squad, they're they're going to take the foot off the pedal a little bit. But you you've seen it in men's soccer where you know things were at a low boil out on that field for a little while. Yeah, guys they were, were getting after each other. Yeah, they were getting after it, and there there was there was intensity there and. You know, in the volleyball matches, you saw the intensity. So I, right. the the concern about, well, they're going to treat this like an impractice scrimmage. It hasn't been there. It, no. I, I've been really impressed with the level of or the level of intensity the athletes have brought. Oh, yeah. They have not been going through the motions, which is always a danger when you have an inter-squad uh, scrimmage. I mean, there was one point with the men's soccer where Coach Mooney called both teams together because he was clearly unhappy with something. But I thought the overall level and intensity was quite good. Volleyball really played hard, I thought, for the first three sets of their second inter-squad, which we just had. 
Um, I mean, there were players diving all over the place, you know, selling out to try to make plays. And it's the kind of stuff that you see in an actual match. So that would, must have been gratifying for Lynn Diedrich to see is the fact that her players were taking it very seriously. I mean, the benches were both super involved. Um, and they played to win. I mean, the coaches also coached to win in that one. They were calling timeouts at points in the match where you would if you're in a five-setter. So um, that was good. And, of course, softball getting their feet wet, you know, and uh, – it was interesting for them because they they did a lot of juggling of, of players as far as their location on the field. Everybody moved around quite a bit. Well, she, she's got 17 players on the right, roster, yeah. and obviously if you need 18. Right, to have an actual 999. Doing the math, it, it doesn't exactly work out right. So there but was there was some unique things that she put into play last night. Right. I as thought, we record this, this is a Friday afternoon when we're right. recording this, and the softball game was, was Thursday evening. But, you know, there were some unique things that she put into play, but... You, there's still plenty that you, you were able to take away from it. Yeah, and I, I thought the fielding was actually quite good. Uh, you know, they attempted a couple of double plays that didn't quite work out. It's hard to turn a double play in softball. Uh, yeah, I was standing next to Nick at the, at the game last yeah. night, and I think the second or third, you know, infield yeah. ground ball, I was like, boy, it's hard to, to turn it in this. It, it, yeah. Everything has to be on point with the terms of the pickup, the throw, the pivot, right. the yeah, throw, I mean, all has to be. But there were a few six four threes and four six threes that didn't turn double plays, but they mm-hmm. were crisp. I thought they were crisp. You know, right. I mean, they were well played, and that's tough to do to get that kind of, you know, infield chemistry going, especially between a, a second baseman and a shortstop right away. So, yeah, I think all the athletes across the board have been taking it very seriously, and I've been impressed with, you know, how they've been, you know, how they've approached it and and, and how focused they have been on the actual contest that they've been playing in. How's it been for you as a broadcaster when you start to, because I'm, I'm going to get into this saddle myself here right? not long from now, but how has that been for you as a broadcaster when, you're, in a sense, invested in both both sides. Um, you try to be pretty, you know, try to call right down the middle. I mean, if you see a really nice play, you you comment on it. Some of the sports are a little bit easier than others in terms of, like, volleyball, for instance, if there's a nice play on either side of the net, you kind of highlight it. You know, there was a lot of really good defense played by both sides, and I tried to highlight that in my broadcast. And with soccer, you know, I I didn't go crazy on the goals, on the goal calls. Just little simple things like that, small things like that. With softball, because of all the movement that was happening, it was a little bit tougher to kind of know how to react to certain plays just because, you know, the lineups were not set. The combinations on the field were not set. The pitchers were, were pitching. They were probably the most set, but they were pitching five innings and then giving way. You know, to a second pitcher, and the catchers also were were cycling through. So, um, you know, I I kind of viewed it as more of a kind of an it's almost like an audition at a certain point because you're just kind of calling something that's in front of you. Um, you want to be excited, but you don't want to be so excited that you are placing emphasis on one individual player above other others, or uh, depending on what's happening uh, on the field or or on the court. So. Um, it's a little bit strange in, in a way. It's also a little bit strange to not know exactly what the format's going to be. I mean, you have a, a, an idea, and the coaches have kind of clued us in as to how it's going to go. Um, volleyball's been the easiest because, you know, Lynn has just said it's going to be best of five, and we're going to play it out like normal. Boom, no problem. It's just like a regular old match then to call it. But, you know, with, with soccer and with softball, it's been more of a – we're going to go probably two hours. If things aren't going well, we might reduce time. We may or may not do this. We may or may not do that. We'll see how it's going, that kind of stuff. That makes it a little bit more challenging as far as timing goes. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's good. It's a different style of broadcasting than I'm used to. But, 
yeah, I mean, I can't really explain it until you go through it, and I know you're about to. So, which what what do you think you're gonna do? I mean, I, you know, I, I think the the years of calling high school hockey is where this is gonna come in real handy. Okay, because you, I mean, you were there with me for most of those games that right. we did, and you're invested, but you're not right, and yeah. you do call it down the middle for the most part, unless it's an overtime winner or the opposing school is clearly out of your listening area, then maybe you do lean one direction rather than the other. But I I think it's going to be very similar to that where you're, yeah, you're, you're right down the middle. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you see a nice play, you call it. Right. But But you're not going to go bananas on a goal call. No. One way or the other. No. You know, there's not going to be like anytime they like, usually when it comes to soccer broadcast, for instance, if, if the Yellow Jackets score a goal, I get pretty animated about it, and the other team scores a goal. I don't. In this, I haven't gotten animated about any of the goals because it's been just basically, oh, nice play, and he scores. Right. You know that it's been very kind of matter of fact, and then I'll just say, nice finish by you know blah blah blah, and it's now you know three to two or three to one or two two or whatever. You know, um, so in that regard, it takes some of it out of it. Right. It's also kind of you feel like when you're watching this, you're evaluating the players too. You're almost getting kind of an inside look at what the coaches are looking at. Sure. Because you're thinking about it in a way of, of evaluating each athlete. Because each athlete that you're seeing out there, whether they're scoring or giving up the goal, is a yellow jacket. Mm-hmm. So it's a different kind of, you know, it's a different look at it. Because you're thinking, nice finish by so-and-so. Why did that goal happen on the other side? Right. You know, and usually, I mean, it's always yellow jackets did this or yellow jackets did that. Everybody out there is a yellow jacket. So you have to be kind of like... It's it's very much an evaluation almost while you're broadcasting, if that makes any sense. A little bit, yeah. I mean, um, usually, you know, for inter squad stuff, we're not on the air, so usually when that's happening, I'm not, you know, calling the the game, right? Because um, you and I have both been in practices where there's been inter squad stuff for our respective teams and seen what's going on and you know, put together some coherent thoughts about what we think, but we never had to put it on air before, so right. that's it, that's a different feel, and it does feel very different. You know, in in that regard, sure. Yeah, I'm. It's going to be interesting to see when when we move into the winter sports. Then, and I get back in hockey. And Are you going to do both uh, men's and women's hockey? I assume. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I wasn't sure. Yeah, the, when they're they're going to stack and do double headers each time. Okay. So it'll just be a double header. No reason not to saddle right. up and do them both. Right. Yeah. You that know? makes sense. So yeah, that's that's what we'll do when we we get to that point, which will be just before Thanksgiving. So we got a long way to go yet. Right. But for me, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how basketball plays out too. Um, I mean, I'm used to doing doubleheaders, as you know, because yep. almost everything I do is a doubleheader. Yep. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the basketball side of it works out as well. I'm probably going to try to take the same approach in terms of just calling out nice plays. Mm-hmm. Um, basketball, you don't necessarily get really animated on every scoring play because there's a lot of scoring plays in every right. every game. Yep. So. Um, if it's in the middle of a big run or something, then you get a little bit more excited, or if the crowd's getting involved, or this is a key bat possession or something. But uh, other than that, it's you know, it, it's pretty basketball. It's it's a little different from from hockey and soccer because goals are big deals in those sports, and right, right now the goals are not a big deal. Right, <laughs> you know, it's just like it's part of the it's part of the development process. Right. So it's it, it's a kind of an awkward segment for us now because usually we'd be breaking down the week before and and all of that, but uh, we don't we don't have a lot of that here. So no, you know, I mean we're we're, we're more we're, or less breaking down how this is gonna how this is gonna work for us and everything. So it's a little bit of a strange segment that we're walking through here. Well, I, for me, I do feel like, and I've been trying to think this through in my head. 
hopefully I'll become a better broadcaster because of this, because right. of the variables involved. Yep. That's what I'm hoping for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel very awkward on the air. I'm going to be honest with you, calling these games is mm-hmm. because it doesn't feel like a real game game. Right. Because um, on a game day, on a normal game day, I mean, our formats, both yours and mine, are set. We know exactly how we're going to handle commercial breaks and what we're going to talk about yep. and all that kind of stuff. Here, it's pretty much wide open. You're kind of ad-libbing as you go. Right. So it's a little bit, in, in that regard, it's a little unsettled, and it does feel awkward. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of like this segment. I mean, it's it. No, right, yeah, yeah. Because it, 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 I totally it circles agree. it back to the segment because we we listened to anything that we did last year. The the opening segment we're it's very structured and we're gonna right. yeah, you exactly. know we, we do a little bit of an ad lib in there obviously but then you start walking through everything that's happened and you're talking about game results and you're talking about athlete of the week and you're talking right. about yep. important plays and clinch playoff spots and things like that and now it's it is it's a lot of ad lib and I mean this is the I think the covid world that we're in right i mean you this know, is, there's been a lot of ad-libbing in the last seven months everything is an on an ad-lib basis right now i think i mean right. tbd are our favorite now uh, letters yes you know because that's pretty much everything right you know, to be announced or, or to be determined is now like common lexicon yep along with the zoom app right you know those those are now common phrases Don't bring up zoom <laughs> I got Zoom fatigue, man. Zoom fatigue. I know you live on Zoom. My dad lives on Zoom. I uh, I've only had a few meetings. I uh, I have found. I don't know what your what your impression is of using Zoom during this time, but for me, it's just it, it's just a necessary tool. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's how you feel about it too. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's just if you're going to get things done, because the option isn't to walk into the meeting room. Or right. yep. walk into somebody's office and have these conversations. I mean, this is the necessary evil now. This is what you have to do. So, right, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, this is the new reality. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's a new reality that is right in the middle of a bunch of new realities for all of us. You know, so yeah, I mean, but going back to the broadcast questions, um, it, it's been it, it's hard for me to put it into words. You know how I how I approach game days. Because I, I really look forward to game days, and you know, right now it's not that I'm not looking forward to it. It's just a different thing, and I'm, I'm always thinking, well, you know, what's the format going to be in terms of what we're going to see? You know, our uh, players going to be switching sides and moving around a lot, or, and so I'm slowly beginning to kind of get a grasp of all that. But uh, yeah, it's a learning process, and uh, you know, I'll be interested to hear what your impressions are once you start doing some of the games. I'm just looking forward to. Being able to do games again, man. It's kind of yeah. like what you said that's, last that's week. That's how it's, I took it, yeah. It's, it's gonna, I'm looking forward to having the chance to, to get back on the air and call just like I, I've enjoyed getting back in to doing this. So hopefully uh, hopefully my games stay where they are and they don't go to TBD any <laughs> anytime soon. But right. one thing not TBD, our next segment. That's coming up right after this. The new softball coach here at UW Superior, Melissa Fracker, will come in and, and join us and talk a little bit about how she arrived here at UWS over the summer and uh, what she saw in her team's first action last evening at the NBC Sports Complex. Melissa Fracker, the head softball coach, coming up right after this. You are listening to Eye of the Swarm. For over 85 years, the dollars deposited at National Bank of Commerce have been reinvested into the community, sparking bold ideas and igniting big dreams. Our customers have helped transform the region. And if we've come this far already, just imagine what's next. National Bank of Commerce. We make more possible.
We're back on Eye of the Swarm, and we are joined by the newest head coach in the Yellow Jacket Athletics Department, softball coach Melissa Fracker. And before we dive into how you got here and all of that stuff, let's let's talk about last night. About last night, uh, you got a chance to finally have a look at your squad. So, what what did what did we glean from the nine innings of ball we saw last night? Yeah, first off, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I'm thrilled to be on. Um, yeah, we finally got to take the field last night. We saw a lot of good stuff. Um, base running, really aggressive. Love that. Hitting, really aggressive. Love, love that. Pitchers, too, really fought, and they came back and continued to fight with strikes and the strike zone, all that stuff. So we saw a lot of positive last night. Um, The good thing is, with the scrimmages, we do get to jot down a bunch of notes and then work through those as well. Um, So really like what we saw and really excited for the work we have to put in and uh, where we're going to go. So. Let's elaborate on some of those positives a little bit because you, you threw a lot of things at the wall right there just mm-hmm. now. So let's let's talk a little bit more about some of those positives. Let's start with the pitching yeah. because you had a couple different hurlers going on each side. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the pitching a little bit. What did you like when you saw from your four pitchers last night? Yes, yeah, so we are a young pitching staff. We have a freshman and three sophomores. Uh, the nice thing with that is they haven't had a lot of experience, good and bad, right? So the scrimmages are huge for them to really get involved and get some experience um, and all of that. But at the same time, they are brand new to the conference. Um, so we're working really hard uh, with consistency, with pitches, really important. We definitely uh, want to hit our spots and all of that. But last night was the first time, just like spring training for baseball, that they got to see live batters. And it's a process. Um, through a lot of strikes, you know, got a lot of swings and misses, which was huge. Strikeouts, got deep into counts, really kept fighting. Um, so really liked what we saw from our pitchers. I think as the scrimmage goes on, we'll get more consistent around the strike zone and all of that stuff. But so far, what we've seen, uh, really excited about. And I think it was a good way to really get back to softball because they haven't played in seven months. Um, as a pitcher, it is all about muscle memory and getting to throw and all of that. And this is the first time they really got to do that competitively I think we start in a good spot and again we have a lot of weeks to then fine-tune and get where we want to go before our first games what's your ideal number of pitchers I like four. I think four is good. We play all double headers. Uh, so with four pitchers, that means that we do have the ability to split them up a little bit. And it's all about a game plan, and it depends how it goes. With softball, it's very interesting to have double headers. So you can have the best game plan in the world um, for the first game, and then all of a sudden, you know, a pitcher struggles in the first inning. It's like, okay, here we go. Like, we got to figure it out now. Um, we have a whole lot more innings to go. I do like four. If we have four that can throw strikes and go a long time. Six is good if you have pitchers that only throw a certain amount of innings. Um, but it, it just depends what you have. I do like four if we have aces, can throw consistently, but six if we're kind of splitting the games up a whole lot. So I suppose advantageous to have more with the potential of a condensed schedule in the spring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, don't really know what the spring is going to look like yet. We are going as if everything is going to go as planned. Hopefully that is what happens. But what I love about our team right now is our resiliency. Uh, No complaining. I think just really thankful to get to play softball again. Um, And maybe that's being part of that spring group that got a season canceled. Because not just our returners, but also our 
freshmen coming in also got seasons canceled. So I think that thankfulness to be on the field and that appreciation of just getting to do it makes a big difference. Um, So love that resiliency. Again, going as if everything's going to go to plan. But I really think we have a team that will go kind of with the ebb and flow of whatever the spring uh, 2021 has in store for us. So. I'm going to jot that on the post-it note because I want to come back to that point. But it's funny to me talking pitching staffs. I mean, I remember times where we had one, yeah, maybe two people that could pitch. So kind of a luxury to see four, well, back five, in the old days, maybe if six. You, yeah, well, I mean, back in the old days, it was if you had one or two pitchers, even two that were serviceable or you know somewhat accomplished and could perform, you were ahead of the game. Because right. most teams that, especially even teams that won national championships at the Division One, Division Two, and Division Three levels, if you have one stud pitcher, that was all you needed because they could throw game after game after game after game, and that's what they did back then. But as with everything else, it's an evolving process, you know, with sports. And nowadays, you're seeing teams all the way across the board now. They have three or four different arms that they can throw in there, and it seems like based on what I saw last night and calling the play-by-play, uh, each pitcher is a little bit different. They, have, you know, they offer a little bit of a different look, and that's really becoming kind of part of the strategy. Also, I suppose is being able to have three or four different looks. You know, you know, maybe a little bit more velocity with one pitcher, maybe some more off-speed stuff with another pitcher. You know, arm angles are a little bit different. I mean, it's all kind of factors in there. And so, if you have three or four, and you know, if you talked about earlier, if you have pitchers that go a little bit shorter, having even six arms. That's a real advantage. So if you can, you know, achieve and and establish that kind of depth, that really helps down the line. Yeah, absolutely. I think softball is moving more towards baseball in the sense that are there are staffs now, um, which is just a different dynamic because you definitely have to have the group of athletes that will support each other. That's so important um, and understand it doesn't matter who's in the circle. It matters, you know about the team and the team getting the win. Um, so that is definitely huge, but definitely very blessed with the ones that we have that they are very different. So off speed, in and out, up and down, they all look different because it's all about making a batter feel uncomfortable. So as soon as a batter feels comfortable in that batter's box, now we're in trouble. Um, so I think that them all having different speed and all having a little bit different spin and different locations, that will certainly be an advantage for us. Do you call the pitches? I do call the pitches. Yeah, it's you know, and but the catchers are very important because I they are the ones behind the batter and they are the ones seeing the spin. So I can call whatever I want from the side. However, I'm not behind the backstop. Um, if I'm calling a curveball, I need to know from the catcher if that ball is not curving. If we're not hitting our spots, um, so even though I'm calling the pitches, it is still that back and forth with myself and the catcher to get the correct pitches to know what's going on, and I rely on them so much to have that communication with me. So, Is that more prevalent in softball than baseball? I um, feel like it is. I feel like catchers maybe have a little more autonomy in baseball to, to call their own pitches. I think that that's pretty much the case. I mean, in baseball you have specific you know, pitching coaches. Not that you don't in softball, um, you know, because most programs, especially at Division One, Division Two levels, have a, a specific coach that does that and calls pitches and does all that kind of stuff. But I think the thing with baseball and the difference between the two is just that the staff is bigger. You see, you know, four or five pitchers perhaps in softball. That's still considered a pretty deep staff of arms. In baseball, you're carrying 10, 11, 12 sometimes arms, and it really kind of falls to the pitching coach to be able to differentiate between who throws what, you know, and what count, what's their best pitch, how many pitches do they throw, uh, all that kind of stuff. What kind of movement do they get? You know, can we use a lefty here? Can we use a righty here? You know, that kind of stuff. There's, I think there's more matchups individually in baseball, you know, where you, you're bringing the guy to, to face a certain guy. You know, on the other team. Whereas in softball, 
you know, you there's that re-entry rule as well. So you can take a picture out, then oh, bring it back in. There's a re-entry in. rule, there's all right. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yes. it was it was in full force last night. It was. <laughs> wink, wink. But yeah. anyway, she invented her own rules for that thing. Yeah, last night. exactly. That's what but, scrimmages are all about. Right. Yeah. But I mean, in in softball, you have those little those little subtle differences. I think that that also factor in. Not that a, a head baseball coach doesn't get involved in the pitching. I mean, some of them, you know, some of the head coaches in college baseball do come from a pitching background, so they do spend more time with their pitching staff. But, you know, usually I think you have in, in baseball, and that's one of the reasons why you usually have more coaches also in baseball, is just because there's more stuff to do. You know, I mean, you have outfield coaches, you have infield coaches, you have batting coaches, you have a pitching coach, and then you have an overall head coach that kind of oversees everything. Whereas in softball, most of the staffs that I see are a little bit smaller. You usually have three, maybe four coaches, you know, um, usually the head coach and then maybe two assistants. So, um, but I think it's just, it's just on a larger scale with baseball. Not necessarily all that different, but just because there's more arms, there's more focus just with one coach who's working with them. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I could be completely wrong about that. I'd have to ask Frank Pufal to see what his thoughts are as well. But um, I don't know, Melissa, if you feel that way as well. I mean, that's sort of that's just sort of my my impression of how it goes. Yeah, and you know, especially in softball and baseball too, but softball is a faster game for sure. So I count on my catchers as well to be the field general. So after something happens, I need them, if we need a timeout, to call timeout. I only have a certain number, so I need them to take control of the game. Um, Also need them to let, you know, runners on, how many outs, what's our play, what are we doing? So while they're focusing on that and controlling the field, I can then look at the scouting report and the matchup and what's going on. Um, So to me, it's hard because we do have the reentry rule. So lineups can go back and forth a lot in softball to really, you know, be able to sit there and pick apart a batter and then also to control the field. So I can pick apart the batter. They can control the field. What a great team then we are together. So. And that's kind of up to catchers also to learn their pitchers. You know, there's a lot more pitchers to learn if you're a catcher in baseball. I mean, you could catch anything from 10 to 11, 12 different guys. And you got to learn what their what their stuff is and how it breaks and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of conversation about that at the upper levels of baseball, especially, you know, professionally at the major league level and in the minor leagues too, of catchers having to learn what their guys throw. You know, how hard does he throw his fastball? You know, does he throw a breaking ball on this count? You know, how far does it dip down? Guys' curveballs look different, and it's the same in softball, I'm sure. But in baseball, I think that just because of the pure number of guys, it gives the catcher a little bit more autonomy. I mean, you will see though. I mean, even in the major leagues, you'll see. It catch you looking in the dugout every so often just to make sure that everybody's on the same page, mm-hmm. you know, just to make sure in between batters or in between pitches even, or call timeout or, you know, whatever it takes. And I say that being a former catcher myself. I mean, when I played, I didn't do necessarily a lot of checking with the dugout. Um, I did it every so often. I talked to my pitchers quite a bit. Um, I would call timeout if things were getting a little bit out of hand, and then, you know, we'd talk about what we were going to throw on a certain counter to a certain guy if he likes it here or there. But, um, you know, I – I was lucky because I had coaches that trusted me to call the game, but I understand also that that's not always the same. So it is kind of a subtle dance between, I think, the dugout and the coaches and then the catcher and then the pitcher because it's kind of a three-way there to try to figure out what we're going to do next. I have the knees to prove that I was a catcher, Mm -hmm. and I don't think I ever had a coach tell me what to call, except I did have one coach who would yell, don't call any curveballs here. Well, that doesn't. Thanks, Coach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the whole the whole point, of course, of looking and checking the dugout is to get the sign, not to be yelling out no curveballs or fastballs. Well, okay. Thanks for ruining our plan. But you know what I mean, like that kind of stuff. Um, usually, when I checked, 
in the dugout. It was for a specific situation stuff, like a pitch out. That was usually, you know, where we were looking, depending upon who was on base. I mean, that was usually, that was the biggest. When we had runners on base, that was usually when I was looking in to see, you know, like what kind of sign do you want to do? And then I'd get a, there'd be a sign for the defense, and then there would be a sign for the pitch. And if I didn't agree with it, or the, and then I'd usually call time and we'd talk it out a little bit. So just so everybody was on the same page. But it is that kind of dance that you get with catchers and pitchers and, and the bench as well to see how everybody's on the same page. And I'm not sure how much of that you do, but. Yeah, and it's not that I don't trust our catchers. You know, we do have a returner that's unbelievable and then two freshmen coming in, and I absolutely trust them to be able to call pitches. I just need them to control the field Um, because trying to move people and talk and let everyone know where it's going, it just cannot happen from the bench. Um, So I just need them to focus on that. So I 100% trust them to call pitches. I think we are a very smart team. I think we are – definitely capable of doing that however um, I would rather team up in that sense and then us like focus on two separate things so then we really are paying attention to the field what's going on our pitcher and then also our scouting report how we want to pitch people and all that so I just find that that combination in softball just with timing usually works a little better you talked about base running too and the aggressive base running you saw last night so expand on that a little bit because I've always felt that the base running game is the the piece that always gets seems to get overlooked. You talk about your pitching, you talk about your hitting, you talk about your defense, but it's you can win games running the bases the right way too. Yeah. I mean, with softball, with the rule of being able to bring people in and out, to me there are two really overlooked besides starters, right? Very important, need your pitcher, shortstop, all the positions. You know, a bull, a good bullpen catcher can't replace that. Someone that can warm people up, talk to the coach, know what's going on. That's beyond important. And then also a pitch runner can change a game. Um, so base running in softball is – especially because most games are usually pretty close. Um, So that 60 feet can win you or lose you a game. But it's also they need to go off feeling and instinct. It can't always come from the coaches because when there's a ball in the dirt, if your first step isn't to go, it's too late. Um, On a changeup, we talk about reading changeups. If you read a changeup, go. Um, And then one of our assistant coaches, we also have a system warm, hot, and cold, right? So depending on the inning, depending on the batter, what the score is, all that stuff, you know, are we cold? Are we going to be careful on the bases? Um, Are we hot? Are we taking chances? Or are we warm that we are only taking calculated risks? Um, So I think that, you know, it's a very good point. The focus on base running has kind of gone to the wayside over hitting, and um, which is very important. But in softball, getting yourself into scoring position um, to be able to win a game and not having to necessarily always bunt and give up and out is just really important to win games. So so last night, tight, it was a tight game. I mean, you're going to the eighth thing, it's 5-3 before it gets blown wide open. And... So what do you take from last night then and bring that into tomorrow? Because quick turnaround, you're back on the diamond tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, our motto is to get 1% better every day. If we get 1% better every single day, by the time we get to play, wow, how good are we? So going to switch things up a little bit. You know, for example, we had two pitchers start and then two pitchers come in. Um, We are really using these scrimmages to be strategic and learn some things about all of our defense and our pitchers, our catchers are hitting. Um, So tomorrow, the people that came in in the fifth inning will now start. The people that started will now come in because – 
as anybody knows through baseball and softball, it is a skill to be able to come in a game. Um, and not everyone is really good at that. So are people better at starting? Are people better at coming in? Um, so tomorrow we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're also going to switch catchers for the pitchers and see if that makes any bit of a difference. So going to use now tomorrow to a lot of the same lineup, um, but also switch things slightly to see if that kind of affects anything. And I also think uh, last night we got some of the butterflies out and the rust, again, haven't played in like seven months. We have seven freshmen. I love that we have seven freshmen. I think that makes our team so much more exciting because freshmen just have a different energy, right? They haven't done this before. Everything is new to them. It's exciting. So I think that we'll settle in a little bit too with our hitting and with our pitching, with our defense. Now that we've played one game, they've been in the uniform. They've been on the field. They've played together a little bit now. Um, So I think tomorrow we'll be a little more settled and also we'll switch up a couple things and see how that affects us. So. You went back to seven months since they've played, so let's take the post-it note that we put up earlier. Let's let's dive into that a little bit because now it's coming around. It's affected fall sports. It's affected winter sports. The spring sports are the ones that have already gone through it. And what has it – I know you weren't here in the spring, but what has it been like with the group not having played in seven months? How have they reacted to all of that along with the uncertainty of – this could be an if we play, not a when we play situation when the calendar turns to 2021. How have how have you worked with your group around all of the uncertainty as well as the scarring from last spring? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a be where your feet are situation and be in the moment. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? And our very first meeting, we kind of talked about take every day as you can and enjoy it because we could get the phone call tomorrow. I think, you know, where I was last year, we got the call two days before we went for Florida. Um, The group here got the call a couple hours before they went to Florida. Um, So it can happen really fast. And I don't think anyone needs to tell the returners that it can happen that fast. Um, So it's just enjoy every moment because I could get a call tomorrow that we're not able to play anymore. Um, So I think that they've really been embracing every single day. And I think they've now gotten to the point that they're not worried about what happens in January, in February, because they know they can't control it. It's going to be someone else that makes that decision for us. However, the hope is that we do get to play and we need to be ready for if and when we do get to play. So focusing on what's going to happen months from now, to me, there's just no point in that. Can't control it. We don't get to decide anything. All we get to decide is what we do today um, and then if we're ready when we do get to play. So That's interesting because I know there are coaches. I'm not necessarily indicting anybody that's on our staff here, but there are coaches out there who are looking at it through the lens of, well, we lost one season. We better not get it taken away from us a second time right. and are, are using that energy on, as you said, something you have zero control over. Well, you know, it, it's a it's a difference in personalities and philosophies, I think, when that kind of stuff happens. You know, one of the things that uh, Melissa and I talked about yesterday in going into that game was the fact that this is somewhat normal for them, though, to be, have a fall ball schedule like this, where you're kind of experimenting with stuff. And getting back to a sense of normalcy is important, especially for a group of athletes that played 10 games, had the rug pulled off from under them, and then now they had to kind of sit and marinate for a bunch of months, kind of thinking about, you know, the fact that they lost a season. It's important to get them back out there, especially with 10 returners coming back. I mean, it is a young team, but 10 of these players had to go through, you know, having athletic director Nick Bursick tell them their season was over. 
and then you know having to kind of sit there like I said and think about it all summer and you know most of them didn't play in the summer I mean you and I talked about that maybe one or two only played club ball everybody else is idle and doing things on their own either working or, or, or just sitting there and thinking about it so just getting them out there to get some reps take advantage of what is really becoming kind of a showcase fall ball for them um, is is kind of you know it, it's it's a big it's a big thing and a big step towards normalcy for them. And so, you know, in that regard, it's got to be somewhat comforting to know that now you have some time to work with these players, get them back into kind of a softball, quote-unquote softball kind of mindset where they can get for, you know, look forward to hopefully what will be an actual spring season in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I think if anyone tells you there wasn't a little bit of bitterness in the spring after, you know, you see student athletes work so hard to get to that point, they get to play. And then it kind of gets, like you said, the rug, you know, pulled from underneath you. There certainly was. But at some point, it's just being thankful to be back with the team. Um, So the fact that, I mean, our athletic department is unbelievable about giving the student athletes an experience. I'm so thankful at how hard everyone's worked for that to happen because I can't imagine what it would be like having these conversations and not getting the fall. Um, so again, going back to it, I think they're so thankful that we're on the field again. And it is pretty normal, except for the 114 days, which switched a little bit. Um, for us, it is a pretty normal fall. But just getting softball period and being with teammates and around people again and getting to interact and just having that again. Um, I think the bitterness got swept away pretty fast and I'm not someone that dwells on something I can't control. It just, it's exhausting. You know, I'd rather use my energy to things that I can control and keeping the team together um, and things like that. So it was almost to an athlete too, that we talked to in the spring one, obviously incredibly difficult having your season taken away from you, but two, then a week later getting sent home. Right. So you and your teammates are all going through this, but you're not together. It's a little different now because you are seeing teams that aren't having a season or it's getting postponed. Right. But at least they're together. And at least they're having that opportunity to to build those relationships to become that cohesive team that in the spring just whoop, gone. Right, And they were kind of left on an island to deal with this all by themselves while learning how to go to class online. Yeah, I mean, as a coach, too, I mean, thankfully, we got to tell people face-to-face kind of what was happening and deal with those emotions in the moment. But, you know, leaving our team last year, it was, well, we're going home for two weeks, and then they're saying we'll be back, and we'll get some kind of a season. Well, no, now we have to go on Zoom, and and NCA put out the, you know, all spring championships canceled. And that's kind of how they found out, um, which – was so difficult as a coach I can't imagine what it felt like as you know a player but as a coach not being able to be in that room with them and help them deal with that I mean the interaction we had was either on the phone or text message or through zoom and it felt so icky I mean it really did because you're here to support them um you know mentally and softball wise and in every sense of the word and then to be that it just felt impersonal to have to you know a talk to them and help them go through it through a computer screen so it's it's it was heartbreaking for sure and difficult I I am not I wasn't even a player so I can't imagine what that felt like but as a coach that was just really heartbreaking so I always go back to CJ being at division three indoor track and field nationals getting ready to compete yeah. the next day in a definite position to potentially win a national championship and be yeah. an all-american and having to be told 
all right, pack your bag, we're going to go home. Or Joey Cummings from the men's golf team sitting in class, scrolling through his phone on Twitter, and seeing the announcement go across Twitter and go, oh, my God, we just had everything taken away. Those circumstances were so unique um, because our men's golf team, I mean, they won the UMAC championships, qualified for the NCAA championships in the fall. And even in a normal year, they have to wait until the spring to compete for that championship. So they're off for four or five months before they have to go through the paces and then get They'd some They'd be playing in it right now. This yeah. would be day two of the UMAC championships. Right, yeah, exactly. And if they win again, then they would have to wait, even in a regular year, to go. So for them, they they sat there and they marinate with their championship and getting excited and stuff for four months, only to find out, nope, sorry, there is no championship this year. So then they got they had that pulled out, and then CJ, like you said, from men's track and field, who had a chance to a real good chance to win a national championship possibly. And I, had they started yet, or were they, were they just there? They were just in their practice day. Okay, yeah, they and were. They there. were going to be competing the next day. Yeah, and Glenn was there with CJ, and you know had to walk in, and that's almost tougher to say it one on one. It's one thing to say it to a group of players so that they can kind of share it together, but then to walk into one individual who's going for an individual championship and to tell him sorry. No can do. They're sending us all home. <laughs> you know, that is – I can't imagine that conversation that Glenn had or the conversation that Paul Eberhardt, our men's golf coach, had to have. Or, the, you know, the, even the conversations, like you said, Nick Bursick had to have and you've had to have. And the fact that no matter how much we all love Zoom and how much more – I don't love Zoom. I know. I mean, <laughs> it, for business people, it works well because it cuts down on travel. But there is no – in sports, we're all about interpersonal communication and, and being together – and sports is just a big drag. And it, it just, uh, even though you can all share information and you can all chat online during a Zoom talk, there's no substitute. And it's totally different from being there and actually sitting in a room with them and then talking with them. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, things went very, it was very personal, but also impersonal in terms of communication at a certain level. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because that's actually a really nice segue into your arrival here. Yeah. You interviewed on Zoom. I, I mean, did. you 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 came sight unseen. You never came to campus or anything. What was that like? You know, it's definitely an interesting. First off, I just hoped that technology agreed with me for four straight hours, <laughs> which never happens. But it did for this, and I was I don't think I broke up at all over Zoom, and um, so I was very thankful. Um, and that it was, it, but it was interesting. You know, trying to convey myself as a coach and a person, and my thoughts and my ideas, and kind of connect with uh, the people that were on the interview to make sure obviously I'm a good fit for here but at the same time you know that this is a good fit for me because it all has to be a fit it's just like when you recruit athletes right it has to be a fit both ways Um, so that was a really interesting process I mean Nick is fantastic just now but also then I mean to communicate and all of that he was very good at you know conveying what's important uh, for Superior and all of the things that the staff believes in and us as a department really drive forward even like everything that he conveyed on Zoom is exactly what it's like here Um, so I think that's definitely a strength um, that he certainly has and even going through department meetings I mean you see it completely Um, so I'm thankful that he was very good at conveying exactly what he meant, and it is exactly kind of what it has been. So, It's just such an atypical process, though. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you're literally interviewing on a computer with a group of people that are sitting in their basements or in their living rooms or who knows where they might be. pajamas in a lot of cases. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's like it's a very weird process to know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm interviewing for a coaching job, 
and I'm talking to people who are sitting, maybe watching, have a TV next to them, but they're, you know, or they're, they haven't gotten in the shower. I don't know what you're day. talking about, Matt. Who would have done that? <laughs> I don't know. Wink, wink. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, it, it just, it, it's the entire COVID experience goes beyond the virus, but the things that have kind of come as a domino effect of all that is the Zoom meetings. I mean, I have only had maybe one or two of them. Um, wow. but I had just, two today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But that, this is the new medium, though. You know, and, and my dad brought it up. My dad has meetings and conference calls all day long. And he just lives on his computer now. And he used to try to get away from that thing. But now he's talking to people all over the country, you know, in these meetings. I mean, he's talking to a guy in Seattle and in Dallas, and they're all chiming in. Um, it cuts down on the travel. And he said it's really, really good for what I do because it saves me for him to get on an airplane and go somewhere. But, you know, for those of us, like I said, in the sports world, it's just very, very against what we kind of think of as why we do what we do. You know, we do this because we really like being around each other. You know, people who love sports like being around other people who like sports. And to have everything kind of get condensed down to a computer screen is just a very strange way to go about it. Yeah, and I was trying to be very authentic on it, too, and, like, get my personality kind of across, but not too much, right? Sometimes sarcasm and jokes are hard to go across the screen, so try to limit that, but also get my personality because I wanted to make sure that what came across that screen was also me. Um, so, yeah, it, it was definitely an interesting process, but at the same time, because of COVID and being shut down, I think... I was ready for something new and a risk and, you know, moving across the country, best decision I've made by far. Um, but I don't know if I would have been ready for it if it wasn't for COVID. You know, COVID just really motivated me to do something new. Um, so when I saw this job pop up, got an interview, you know, got the job and then the decision time came, you know, because of COVID, it was a much easier decision than I think it would have been um, if COVID had not hit and things were kind of running as they normally had. So kind of stole my my next question, but it, it leaves it leaves a, a little bit of room to, to elaborate because you said earlier, you know, it, it, it all comes down to fit. And whether you're recruiting a fit for the school is a fit for you and everything. When at what point in that process, one, did you think, okay, that might be a fit? I'm gonna throw my name in a hat there. And two, this definitely will be a fit. We're gonna make this happen. Yep. So just researching before I applied um, about UWS and you know the mission statement and what's important and going on the website a little bit. You know, reading through that, it definitely fit with my view of things and what's important for the student athlete. And uh, so that certainly got me interested in applying um, and then going through the interview process and meeting Nick and then, you know, getting to meet other coaches and some of the players through that interview process made me very comfortable and made it like, okay, like I think this could work. And then talking to friends and family, I mean, many of them commented, so this is your dream job. Like, this is what you love to do. They're going to actually, like, give you a job to do what you love doing. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, like, so you're taking this, right? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, they're gonna, like, they twisted your arm a little, yeah, nudge, I mean, little nudge. nudge. They knew what I needed to hear. And it's like, you're gonna get to do what you love all the time. Right. Like all you do is talk about softball, love to do softball. Like I worked another full-time job, plus was an assistant coach, but even at my other full-time job, like still, you know, focused on softball. So 
they knew exactly what I needed to hear. And I guess that's what's great about friends and family that I'm sure they had in their back pocket if and when I needed it. And they definitely pulled it out and nudged me. And I'm so thankful that they did because I needed to hear that. Um, that yes, like, are you crazy? Yes, you are taking this. This is what is happening. Because I already knew I wanted to. But to hear that from them, I was like, absolutely, let's go. So here I am. What role did... Arnold Schwarzenegger being an alumnus of this school play in your decision? I mean, I would say top five. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That actually is something I heard very early. Like when I mentioned um, UW Superior, someone had pulled that out very fast. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> like just a tidbit to like, I don't know if they thought that would really affect my decision, but they like, by the way, just so you know, like the alumni there, I'm like, well, thank you so much. <laughs> like that's, that definitely helps the process. So. It's an interesting kind of obscure factoid, I think, about the school. That's Most people don't believe you yeah, when I well, say that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how many people actually do believe it when we bring it up. I don't talk about it very often just because it doesn't come up as right. something that we discuss a whole lot. Um, like I said, it's an interesting factoid about the school. It's an interesting fact. you know. And it, it, it probably, for, for people who are coming into the UWS community from the outside, it's a, it's a cool fact. But it's interesting for those of us who are been immersed in the, in the community now for, I don't know. Like, Ever. Yeah, forever. It's something that you know we could just kind of go, oh yeah, and we kind of sometimes you have to kind of remind ourselves <laughs> that that's the case, you know. But uh, sometimes I think we forget how it's perceived. The fact that yeah, UWS is is uh, is an you know Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, alma mater, and um, it's just as it's it's a very strange kind of thing to think about where he went versus the you know where we are as kind of a small, somewhat obscure school in in the, you know the upper Midwest. Somewhat. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it, it, it's one of those interesting facts that you, you would never associate with UW Superior, which is what makes it pretty cool, mm-hmm. I think. You, you know. got to have those cool facts about the school, right? It's just like those tidbits when you're in a conversation with someone you have just in case you need it, right? And right, yeah. I'm excited to kind of learn. I'm sure there's many more of them, so I'm excited. And obviously, um, you two will be very good, I'm sure, at giving me those Well, I'm going to give you there. one right so, now. Okay, here I'm we gonna go. I'm going to give you one right now. because oh this, this here is, we go. No, the, whenever people bring up alums, they're always like, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's your most famous one. I disagree. Mm, I disagree. See? Here we go. I here like we this. Go. Ira Tubbs, who coached basketball here back in the 20s, okay? He, uh, he went on to coach the University of Iowa. He coached at Miami. So he, he had a, a really good coaching pedigree. Granted, his record wasn't the finest at a couple of those places, but he had a good coaching pedigree. And he invented the needle valve. Mm-hmm. So any rubber ball, basketball, volleyball, football, dodgeball, whatever... That little valve that you stick the needle in to pump the ball up, he invented that. See wow. He more than likely has, he came up with an invention that has in one way or another affected every person on the planet. Because who has not played with the ball? That's true. At some point. That's true. Like that. Ira Tubbs. This is, that's a new one for me even. And I've been at part of this community now for more than a decade, 12 <laughs> years. I've never heard you bring that one up before. I mean, usually the conversation goes towards Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, one of our alums played for the Minnesota Vikings. I'm sure you'll you'll find that out. Um, one of the co-founders of Pixar Films. Yeah. Okay. Alum. Yep. So you know we have those kind of stories, but this is the first time I've heard about the <laughs> Ira Tubbs and the there valve. You go. So that you know, the needle I, valve. And- I did some research on him, and I, I wrote a piece for a website called I, I think Historically Inclined is what it was. Okay. And his nephew found this. Okay. And called me, 
and wanted to talk about Uncle Ira. So I thought that was kind of kind of cool yeah. when when I got to have a conversation about that. But is that how you found that? Is literally how you found out about this? No. Um, if I'm trying to remember exactly how, I, 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 credit to Dave Kroll because he kind of pushed me down this path a little bit. And then well, he's a good one for uh, he is. interesting facts. But then yeah. Lane Pitt, the SID at Stout, okay, had thrown something out. I believe it's an Stout alum who invented essentially the needle. Oh, okay. to pump up the ball, and I was able to one up him with the needle oh, valve. Okay, because once he came up with that, and then I remember talking to David. He goes, "Well, you know, that doesn't mean anything without the valve." And then I'm like, "Okay." So I do a little research, and I found out that it was actually. A superior alum who oh, wow. who did that, but he, he came. He had a bunch of inventions. Okay, with with basketball shoes and all this okay. other stuff. He's right. a yeah. fascinating person, right? When yeah. you when you can dive into to some of this stuff, but a lot of what you're the material you're looking for is tough to find because again, it was the 1920s, right? When all this was was going on. So right there, you go. There's your history lesson for the day. Well, thank you. I actually was a history education major, so I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> yeah, I mean. We, it's interesting to see what different schools have. I went to a high school, um, the same high school as F. Scott Fitzgerald, for instance, which is, you know. He wrote something once, right? Wrote something once, yeah. yeah. I mean, you might have even heard of it. But, you know, like those little factoids like that. Um, you know, I mean, you have a player, for instance, that plays softball, you know, for you right now from Creighton Durham Hall, same school as Joe Maurer and Paul Malter. You know, I brought that up on the air yesterday. Also, um, she also has Doug Sutherland's great niece. That's right. So, I mean – there, if you if you look for the six degrees of separation, you'll find some some cool little things, I suppose. So your high school, F. Scott Fitzgerald. I, I'm trying to think like mine would probably be the former CEO of Pepsi. Really? Yeah. Was it Chisholm Grab? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And he was wow. He was the one who basically buried Coke when they changed their formula in the 1980s. Okay. And he was the one who said, "Okay, pounce," and he buried them for the better part of a decade because of Does that. Does he like still frequent the range or is he, he he passed away. Okay. He passed away here I want to say 5 or 6 years ago. Okay. Well, it's, it's like International Falls of Bronco Nagurski. You know, there's another one or John Mayesich if you're talking about hockey with Evelyn. Right. I mean, these little things <laughs> people who became you know, very famous Americans who came from these kind of obscure backgrounds, Kevin McHale with Hibbing. Right. <laughs> you know, things like that. Little little weird factoids. Bob Dylan, another one mm-hmm. from Hibbing. So, yeah, I mean, those, those are kind of the fun little stories mm-hmm. that you end up with. I mean, the fact that Judy Garland is from Minnesota. Right. You know, from Wizard of Oz. You know, I mean, we're getting a little bit off on a tangent here, but... No, this is okay. I'm going to bring it back around. Keep okay, going. Okay, okay. <laughs> but that's those are the kind of the things that, you know, I didn't find out about F. Scott Fitzgerald going to St. Paul Academy until... Probably my sophomore year, my tenth grade year, maybe at the school. I mean, they they don't really bring it up that much. The reason why they brought it up is because we actually had to read the Great Gatsby. <laughs> so when we had like it, I said we, you wrote something. Yeah, once. he wrote something once, and uh, when we had to uh, read what he actually wrote, um, they actually brought it up in the bio then. But it wasn't like, oh, by the way, like you don't. There's not a sign that says the you know you know alma mater of right. Scott Fitzgerald or anything like that. It just is. Just oh, interesting fact, right? <laughs> you know, he actually went to this school in this very building. So you know, it's it's a very um, it, when those kind of things happen, you're just kind of like, oh, that's cool, you know. And it, but it does kind of perk your interest. I mean, that little light bulb goes on. Right. And it's like, wow, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. You know, we think about it. So we're we're gonna swing it around. Okay. 
And I think it's a really good way for us to open rapid fire. Oh, here we go. Oh, yes. Boy, rapid fire. Rapid Were you fire. warned about this, by I the way? I was not warned nope. about it, but warn that's the okay. best way to do it. I didn't, okay. I didn't okay, warn yeah. the new coach because okay. they start to think too much and then they okay. get nervous. So, right. just, right. you know, now they've all gone through it, so it's they're, they're know it's coming. But, <laughs> right. you know, so we're going to go a little rapid fire on you here. Five questions is kind of answer with stuff that pops in your mind. But the first one, with what we were just talking about in mind, your high school, most famous alum, go. Uh, Caitlin Jenner. All state track and field. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a big there one. There for a year, but yeah. So. Okay. Yep. Gosh, I have to be careful right now if it's rapid fire. Sometimes my mouth goes faster than my brain, so I'm gonna. This make isn't sure live, here. so it's okay. Okay. Yeah. We can edit this if, if we. If you have to go, oh wait, stop. Nope, we're gonna do this again. Okay, we we can do that. Okay. Good. Okay. So, there's one. If Melissa Fracker was not a coach, she would be. Ooh, a teacher, I think, right? Just just coaching in a different way, in a different setting. What would we be teaching? A history education. Well, social studies, right? So it's social studies now because um, there isn't a CMT. That's the Connecticut Mastery Test. It's what we were always told. Um, there's not a CMT towards history, right? But social science, they focus on a little more. So middle school, probably. I think my sarcasm plays a little better in middle school than high school. So You think so? I think that they would still think I was a little funny. High school, I don't think they'd think I'm funny at all. So they would give you the sympathy laugh, though. And Maybe walk out and go. My I think God, that's can how you. Believe what she said. That's how you would know if they actually right. like, liked you, right? As a teacher, so I okay. am absolutely, and I you. I don't know if you know this about me. I am absolutely fascinated by history. History teachers just blow me away because history is really interesting if you look at it. And a lot of people don't even know history <laughs> these right. days. I mean, we've we've seen it unfortunately the last few years here in, in America, trying to you know, rationalize the past and all this kind of stuff, understanding the past, but. I just find history to be really interesting. So if you were ever a history teacher, I'd I'd be all in on that one. I mean, or, or social studies, that'd be, I'd be, that would be very cool. I give you the big double thumbs up on that yeah. one. It's a story, right? It's what makes it interesting, right? right? You're telling a story, so I enjoy that part of it. Is there a specific era of history that is intriguing to you? I like modern, so like modern European, you know, the World Wars, things like that. So I enjoy, I think it's probably because like the strategy that goes into that part of just the era and history, because, you know, back when the Civil War and other wars were happening, it was just like lines. And then there wasn't much strategy that went. It was just like marching, right? Right. Um, But once kind of World War I came along, it was the strategy that came into it. Um, And how do you then move your troops a certain way to uh, win battles and not lose, obviously, a lot of people. So, yeah, I like like that. Starting modern times, it was much more strategic. So I appreciate kind of learning about that part of it. Is there a particular historical figure? Ooh, interesting. That's a really good question. Hmm. Mm, Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. See what Rapid Fire does to people? Wow. You you could go into, like, who would you want to have dinner with? Historical figures. Name a few. You know, like who would you sit down at the dinner table and say, you know, you just I want... give her a rapid fire question. Is uh, what you did? Dinner yeah. party for Melissa. You got four people. Who are they going to be? It can be anybody. Yep. yep. Dead, or alive. Dead or alive. Good. Dead Derek or alive. Jeter, yep. For sure. Um, definitely idolized growing up. So Derek Jeter. Um, you know, I would say Michelle Obama because I appreciate the fact that she is like a strong female figure, and I think that is really, really important. Oh my goodness! Now we get two more. This is really, really hard. This rapid fire is pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, two That's the first time we've had someone say, say that, the first I think. Anybody's yeah. ever Very that. impressive. These are good questions. Oh, my gosh. I need two more people. There's so many people. I'm just choosing, like, two more. They say a lot about you, right? So, um, 
let me get back to that. I'm going to, before the end of this, I will come with two more people, but let me... Let me Post sit note. on it. I would have yeah. a hard time finding four. I've got two off the top of my head. Okay, who do you got? Abraham Lincoln and Gandhi. Mm, interesting. Good choices. Very interesting. Um, and then from there, I would have to think a little bit. Um, I don't think I would probably... Jackie Robinson. Mm, good choice. And then number four... I think I might have to marinate on that one for a little bit here. Yeah, right? Think about it. Um, but those are three definitely that I would love to you know pick their brains. I'm, I'm kind of... One of those people, I, I try to kind of go across the mediums and just see, mm-hmm. you know, because each of those individuals were dealing with circumstances that no one in today's world can really understand right. com- completely and fully. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest reason why I would have them there. Um, you know, I, I mean, some of the ones that I've heard of have been just kind of bizarre, like they're all over the place. Yeah. You know, Um I probably, like I said, other than Jackie Robinson, I can't think of a sports figure that I would really put immediately on that list. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, who would your four be? My four, I, I'm the lucky one because I'm the last one here, so I've had a chance to think for a couple of minutes because I had a hunch it was going to come this way. Um, you know, I, I've got some obscurity to mine. Okay. Um, I think the first, the first one would be Al Shaver. Okay. Who was the radio voice of the Minnesota North Stars when they were in the NHL. And he was kind of the guy who, who made me fall in love with listening to sports on the radio. So I, I would love to have an opportunity to sit down and, and converse with him over over some chicken wings or something, you know? Um, So I think he would definitely be there. Um, The bizarre, obscure, you really don't know what they went through kind of thing. Harriet Tubman. Mm, oh, yeah. Great That's one. a good one. Yeah. I think my third one, just for the entertainment factor, would be Elvis. There you go. There you go. And then the fourth one would be my father. Oh, oh right. That. Yeah. Love that. That's good. That's yeah. that's a good That's a good group. Yeah, I think I would throw in George Washington, just like the history-wise, just to know like what was going on, really. And I know we can read it in history books, but like just to get his perspective right. on what was going let's on. Let's talk about that Potomac there, George. Yeah, like let's really <laughs> figure out what's happening, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, same lines for you. My great-grandmother um, was someone that really just kind of showed me what it meant to be family and like what that was so I think she really kind of set the tone for me not only as a person but also how I like to treat people so I think being able to go back and talk to her and like things I've gone through now and like just be able to like have those conversations yeah that would be that would be really special too so I think those would be my list hard questions there's no right or wrong right Right. and you can come up with four different people depending on where you are and what's going on in your life in like that day so great honestly like for me coming up with that fourth one that would be really hard because like I like I said my interests kind of run the the gamut a little bit um you know Isaac Newton would be an interesting one Mm. I mean he invented a whole different you know mathematical you know, formula right. that now is basically pretty standard. You know, I mean, someone who invents, invents calculus, I think that's pretty. That's a pretty good <laughs> feather in your cap. <laughs> what did you do with your spare time? Well, you know, yeah, I, I just sort of did this. this you know, I just sort of came up with calculus <laughs> out of the blue. Um, you know, it's, it's stuff like that, mathematics. You know, advances in, in mathematics. Thomas Edison might be an interesting one. Mm. You know, just because I mean, you know, the print press and all all these you know, all these other things right. that came up. Um, 
You know, I think well, you, some... you have him there and you could say, okay, tell me about the stuff that didn't work. Yeah, right. Can yeah. you imagine what he like even All thought of? All the things that, yeah. that right, didn't yeah. happen. I mean, he, that's a big one. And then you have, um, you know, even even kings and queens of some of these, you know, some of the monarchs. Elizabeth I would be an interesting one, mm. being Henry VIII's daughter. Yeah. Right. You know, having to come up and, and fight a war against an, an opponent that was vastly outma- outmatched her and still was able to, you know, Win the you know the the war and, and keep England sovereign, it, you know stuff like that. Um, it's just that that fourth one would be tough for me. I would have to really kind of sit there and think about it, um, and I'm not sure you know what answer I would come up with. But definitely the first three would be Jackie Robinson, Abraham Lincoln, and Gandhi. Hmm. And um, you can definitely kind of see where someone comes from, right? So like growing up watching Derek Jeter, like my love, just like you for love with broadcasting, like that is my love for, you know, baseball that translated into softball right there. So Mm -hmm. being able to have like that conversation, it's just interesting that the people we pick, right? Even something just a question like that, like the people you really pick and you can see how that like frames somebody. So just a really cool question. I appreciate that one. So yeah, that's and that one is it's not just a rapid fire. That's like one where you actually it's not so rapid. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a thinker. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because you actually have to come up with something. Like rapid fire is just you shoot it right out. This one you have to add, go well one two three four, <laughs> and then you have to think about you know, and then you have to think okay four 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 four. I'll just I, can I invite a fifth and be the one that serves everybody just Ooh, so I can listen there to all you, go. That? you could yeah that would be the other thing I mean I will say this I will throw Thomas Jefferson in there just because the first time that I saw the actual document of the Constitution which mm-hmm. is in the National Archives I've seen it in person now like three two three times something like that and each time I've been there just actually look at the physical document itself it blows me away it blows me away what that document started right you know. Whether they knew it or not, whether Thomas Jefferson knew it or not, whether George Washington and the other founders knew it or not, what that document and what they put, you know, pen to paper on, not pen to paper, it would have been a quill back then. But <laughs> it took a lot longer to write it. Yeah, exactly. It would have been ink on a quill and they would have written it that way. But what they put to paper, ink to paper there, I'm not sure that they could have fully understood what they were starting, you know, because it was mm-hmm. a small country they were starting back then and they knew it. And they had kind of a vision of where it wanted to go, but I'm not sure they ever anticipated their their creation building to what it became. Right. So that would be interesting, you know, individual to get perspective now as someone who wrote this in the 1770s to see what, <laughs> you know, what he would have thought or what they would have thought, throwing George Washington back in there, right? of what we've become. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw Thomas Jefferson in there and call it four. Okay. Fair enough. I'm gonna dump, we're going to dummy it down a little bit now, though. Okay. Okay. Is, I appreciate it. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh, my goodness. Um, no. Elliot's smiling on that one. <laughs> I'm going with no, and I'm sticking with it. We've got Elliot uh, smiling on that one. I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what he thinks, but you're going to say? No. Okay. It's not a sandwich. It's I different. tend to agree. What do you think? I don't think it is. Okay. Elliot? He thinks it does. He thinks it does count. Okay. <laughs> well, I suppose it meets the qualifications, right? It does. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's meat inside bread. I mean, technically, yeah, it, it could be. I just don't feel it is. It's a whole lot of different meats inside bread, though, right? Fair enough. <laughs> right. <That is> fair. <laughs> well, because I, and I prefer, like, bratwursts and stuff like that. So, But I, also not a sandwich. But also not a sandwich, no. Right. I mean, it's the same concept, just different execution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, right, it's, yeah. I've, that's one I've never thought about. 
That's why I'm here. That's why I'm I know here. you come up with these deep thoughts, man. That's I, I, why I, I like can, working you with know, you. Deep thoughts with Jack Handy. Remember those on Saturday Night Live? Oh yes, I do. <laughs> what would your theme song be? Oh boy, theme song, huh? Again, I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but like, that's so hard because I love music. So I want to like really get a good one. Hmm. I guess I could think of like walk up song, right? Um, oh gosh, do you guys have theme songs? I'll throw it to you. Any theme songs for you? And then I'll pop. You know, Mooney it. did this last year too. Yeah, he, he did. This is really tough and for I, us. I don't think it. I don't think it changes for me. Yeah. Because I, I, I last year I said it. I'll say the same thing this year. It's feeling stronger every day by Chicago. I like it. Yep. Can't go wrong with that. No, it's a good one. And I'll say the same thing I said when Mooney threw it back to me. It cha- depends on the day, and I mm-hmm. like so many different genres. I mean, I'll listen to classical music when I'm going to sleep at night. And movie soundtracks and stuff like that. So it's really hard for me to come up with just one song right. that kind of encapsulates how I'm feeling. Depends on my mood. I could have 365 different songs per year, you know. So I kind of beg off on that one because I, I can't know a year one. ago for Teddy it was Bubble Bath in the Sink. Okay, that's but, right. Yep. yep. But I think this year for him we'd probably change it now. Now it's Baby Shark mm-hmm. on repeat. Oh, does he do just the motions and everything? Oh too? yeah, he does. Okay, good. Oh yeah. You got to get those. So did my nephew. Yeah, he does the motions and you know he tries to do the hand stuff. He's not quite there yet. <laughs> okay. But then when it gets to Let's Go Hunt, the fin oh. comes up and then the runaway he gets this frantic look on his face and just starts going like crazy. And then goes back to the fin, and then he settles down again. My nephew, and then he wants you to start it over. My nephew actually had to put together a performance of that with his classmates. Or I his wouldn't say had to because I have a hunch they really like it. They well, they really liked it, and my my parents were inv- invited to it, so he had to, he actually gave a performance of doing this. And then I think my brother in law and my sister tried to kind of disavow him of that song completely because it has not been brought up since. Because all he did was run around and sing that song then for like... It's it's a good move because after I've listened to it, it's the number one played song on my Spotify right now is Baby Shark. Yeah. And and like he was about the same age. It was about the same age as Teddy when he started in on it. So now he's just turned three, Nick has, and he's completely, I think, I'm sure he could still sing it if you brought it up to him. But that's kind of like a topic we don't broach (laughs) with him nowadays. Don't let him listen to this episode then. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, Baby Shark, I suppose that would... It's a big one. Okay, we got one more. We're going to let you go. Okay. What's your quote? My quote? Yep. Be where your feet are. That's That one is... That's a really good one. It, where did you, gri- so where'd you get that from? Um, so I played softball at WestCon, and the coach there who I eventually you know, coached with, that was something that she said that resonated with me so much um, because I'm someone that likes to have like plan A through Z right away. However, like that's not how life works. Um, and I think that... Sometimes I get caught up in making like tomorrow, like, and what's going to happen tomorrow, but then I miss out on today. Um, So for me personally, I think it's a good quote for me because I need to live in today and now and enjoy it because if I worry about tomorrow, I'll miss out, right? And I think I might have just almost quoted uh, Ferris Bueller there, right? But, um, but uh, no. Life moves pretty fast. Yeah, right? (laughs) Philosophical, Um, (laughs) uh, yeah, philosophical debate with Ferris Bueller. There you go. But, no, I think that is, that is definitely an important one that really resonates with me. And, actually, I came up with a good theme song for myself now to really wrap it up because it's the song that finishes most weddings, right? Don't stop believing. So that's what you sing to kind of wrap everything up usually, right? So I would go with Don't Stop Believing. Don't Stop Believing. That's, that's a good reference. I like that one. I like that a lot. Because I actually heard a song by Journey on the Way Over Here. Oh, perfect. It was Wheel in the Sky. <laughs> Not quite the same thing. Not quite the same thing, but the same group. So I guess that brings it full circle. (laughs) 
Fantastic. Yeah, I so agree. you survived. You were worried. Whew, and you I was survived. very worried. Okay, thank you. I mean, that was. I mean, that was a lot of thought, but I definitely appreciate kind of you know, how rapid fire turned into uh, deep fire. Um, I appreciate that for sure. And thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Um, have absolutely loved my time so far here. And I'm excited to hopefully, you know, get going with the team in 2021. And I think we're going to have big things coming our way. We're so. excited for 2021. And we'll have you back because hopefully we'll be in the middle of a season. And we'll get to talk more about pitching and hitting and base running and all that good stuff and a whole new round of rapid fire to finish it off. All right. Excited. Can't wait. She's Melissa Fracker, the head softball coach, EW Superior. We'll take a break, come back and wrap up this episode of Eye of the Swarm right after this. Orkers Island Inn is now hiring and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We're hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today. We're back for the final segment of Eye of the Swarm. And I know, Matt, she was nervous coming into this. And what a fantastic conversation we had with Melissa. Oh, she's a piece of cake. Um, I was able to uh, get a conversation with her yesterday before the softball game. And, uh, man, is she uh, an outgoing, passionate, optimistic, enthusiastic individual. Um, and I told her because she said, yeah, I'm going to be with you guys on the podcast tomorrow. Um, and she was kind of a little bit apprehensive about it. And I said, uh, you're going to be just fine. Because um, we had a nice long talk in her but office. I, I try to tell these people too when they when they come in for the first time that we're we're not going to put you in a position right. where you're going to have a hard time with some of this. A lot of this is going to be put on a tee for you, right? Yeah, you know. I mean, and our goal is not to get you. Yeah, yeah. You know, unless you're in rapid fire. You know, maybe we do want to get you a little bit on. Maybe that, yeah, get you, you know? thinking a little but bit. But even there, I mean, she, very thoughtful answers and. Not afraid to swing it back around the room and make us talk a little bit too. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what the kind of the cool thing about rapid fire is that it kind of throws us in the mix as well because it can go, you know, three ways. Right. So that's you know, and I appreciated the rapid fire because that's that you know some of the questions are pretty darn interesting and you know especially the the dinner table conversation. So that was a good one. Yeah, that, that was, was a good, good one. one. I'm glad we decided to use that. <laughs> Me too. That was that was a good one because that's always a good one though. Like you know, we talked about it a little bit off air with her too. That's always a good question because that one makes you think a little bit and it starts a dialogue and you know, you find out some things about uh, who it is that you're talking with and mm-hmm. it's just very cool. It's kind of a, an illuminating uh, question to ask and um, you know, I mean, the best part about it is that sometimes the angels will, answers will change from day to day. Right. So. And there's no wrong answer. Nope. That's there the is no wrong answer. That's no the best answer. part of it all about it. Yep. So we've. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon, and there was a softball last night, and sort of a busy week coming up here now, Matt. Too, so you're gonna you're gonna be making a little money and paying some bills on the air with us as we've got softball and men's soccer and women's soccer on a tomorrow, being meaning Saturday, and yep. then next week. Next week it really kicks. Next up. week it really ratchets up a little bit. There's a lot of games coming up. Yeah, a week from uh, this yeah. Saturday, so tomorrow. There's how many games are there? There's well, like, you're, you're even skipping during the week. Yeah, I mean, got, I'm just thinking about the you've Saturday. You got volleyball then, on Tuesday, right? Volleyball on Tuesday, and so is there soccer Wednesday? I think there might be soccer because I think it's on Wednesday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday 
if I remember right, next week. Right, Because yeah. then you've got tennis on Friday, and then on Saturday you've got just about everybody. Two soccers, baseball, softball, and tennis. Well, I remember, because I don't have the schedule in front of me, obviously, and we're kind of going through this through our, you know, on the, on the drop of a hat here, but um, my family's coming up here for MEA because they're having MEA, and, and um, they were trying to figure out a time for me to come up to the North Shore, and I'm like, I'm, it's going to be pretty tough. Right. Because I'm going to have, I know I have a game on Thursday, which I think is softball again. Uh, yes, it is. I and then it is. Friday, I'm not broadcasting anything. But then on Saturday, I have two games again. And then on Sunday, I'm available again. So it's it's kind of an every other day kind of thing. And then I have volleyball on Tuesday night, I think is what it is. So it's Tuesday, uh, maybe Wednesday, Thursday, or is that Wednesday off? I think it's, I think it's Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday next week. Okay. Okay. We're just confusing the listeners right now is all we're doing. Yeah, well, we're pretty confused, too. Yeah. I mean, because uh, to be honest with you, our broadcast schedule has changed several times. Already. Oh, it, it, yeah. Yeah. It, it changes daily, <laughs> it seems like. so. Yeah, I mean, we're used to having a very, like, when we set up our broadcast schedule for the listeners back home, it is pretty much set in stone. By the time we get done, there might be a change here or there, depending right. on weather. Yes. If the weather intervenes. That's about it. But that's about it. That's about it. We probably have, of all the games that we do, and between me and John, we do, what, about 80 or 90 we games We get close to somewhere between 90 and 100 yeah. in a good year. We probably have, on average, one, maybe two games moved per year. So right. this, this kind of new phenomenon in the COVID you know, life is of moving games around is really kind of disconcerting for me and for John and right. for Elliot and for the rest of our staff. So um, it, it's this is, we're, we're kind of – we're kind of in the same boat, actually, as the listeners. Yep. We're not really sure what's going to happen from day to day. Right. That's what I'm trying to get across. Yep. So, so there'll be plenty of broadcasts. As you know, we, we know that we've got a lot on the table right now. Those things change. But uh, keep an eye on the website, uwocyellowjackets.com. And we will. Yep, the schedules are there for the each team. The schedules are there. The schedules are updated daily. Yep. And uh, they'll have that little listen now icon. And feel free to go ahead and hit that. Or if you're within range, Tune into ninety one point three and yep. take in the big sound. Matt Johnson calling Yellow Jacket Sports. Yep, yep. Until hockey starts anyway, and until then hockey we, starts, then, then you, you join the fun. And with I can me. play too. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> Elliot Swery is our engineer here in the studio, and that's uh, the big sound. Matt Johnson sitting across from me. I am John Garver, and we thank you very much for listening to this week's Eye of the Swarm.